Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, I'm about to dismiss the children's the children's church, but I want to share something with you real quick. Uh, this is more for the families who pick up their kids and then those who will go over to Sunday school afterwards. We are in the process of doing some renovations, and as a result of that, today the children's ministry will not be meeting in their normal room. Instead, they're meeting on the opposite side of the Family Life Center in the room that is directly beside our dining room. We are in the process of replacing the flooring, and we have cleared everything out of our children's ministry room except the carpet, which will be cleared out this week. Uh, but that being said, we've had to make some adjustments for today only. Uh, so if there are kids that are going, just be aware that they will be in the room next door or on the other side of the, uh, the building. So just wanted to share that with you now. It, I, I see kids in the hallway, so they're waiting on you, I guess. It is a blessing to be able to share with you. And by the way, I really am excited about uh, the flooring changes that are taking place. Very grateful for those who have already stepped up to help make that happen. And I do believe that it's going to be beautiful when it's done. We are going to have all new flooring throughout the Family Life Center with the exception of the gym because uh, that already has a nice floor in there. So uh, if you have not been over there, you need to go by and look in the dining room. We have already completed that, and you will be able to see some of what it will look like throughout the rest of the building. So it is a blessing to be able to share with you this morning, but for some of us, worship doesn't begin on Sunday morning. Last night, I had the privilege of joining with a group of high school students, mostly from our local public high school, for a time of worship. They gathered around a bonfire over at the potter's place last night, singing songs of worship, reading the word, and praying for one another. As we worshiped together, I couldn't help but think about the spirit of revival that has taken place on college campuses across the country. I have heard so many people praying that God would allow the same revival spirit to fall upon other college campuses the way it has in Asbury, Kentucky. And I certainly long for the same thing to take place. But the thought that went through my mind last night was, why stop with college campuses? What? What if a simple act of worship among a group of teenagers surrounding a bonfire could turn into a type of great awakening in this community? What if their school were changed simply because the Holy Spirit showed up and moved in an incredible way? But why stop there? What would happen if the Spirit of God showed up here at church among any or many of our other ministries. Can you imagine a BYF luncheon? That's our senior group. Can you imagine a BYF luncheon that was suddenly overtaken with a spirit of revival or a Sunday school class or a board meeting where the spirit began to convict hearts of those in the room? There was confession and repentance and worship and a desire to never leave this place. You see, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But there is also the power to transform 
lives and to redeem those who are lost. I'm reminded of the story of the feeding of the 5,000 that I talked about last Sunday just in passing. Remember, we talked about the fact that when Jesus finished feeding the 5,000, he then went off to pray. But before that, Jesus took a little boy's lunch. Well, the little boy offered it. Jesus didn't just take it. That would have been ugly. Jesus took this little boy's lunch, five loaves of bread and two fish, probably something that his mother had sent him with in hopes of being able to sell it to those in the crowd that day. Jesus takes the bread and the fish and he multiplies it to feed thousands of people. And then afterwards, they pick up enough scraps to be able to fill 12 baskets full. I've often wondered at mom's response when the little boy returned home with 12 baskets full of fish and bread. I've joked that she probably sent him with much more than five loaves of bread the next day and fish, but that's probably not true. If anything, she would have gone with her son that next day as he wouldn't have been able to stop talking about what had taken place. You see, the spirit of the Lord was present. In fact, his physical body, the body of Jesus was present. And the result was that God was doing a great and mighty work. There would have been an eagerness from among the people to hear and to receive what the Lord had for them. And I imagine that when the spirit of the Lord shows up in this place, that you would see similar results. I imagine that there wouldn't be enough room to meet the needs of the people that would come. We would see miraculous answers to prayer. We would see people confessing their sins and turning from that sin. We would see people being set free from all kinds of addictions and bondage to various types of sin. Oh, how I pray for that kind of move of the Lord today. In fact, I know I'm still early in the message today, but I want to take a moment and pray with you this morning. If you would, please bow your heads with me. Father, I thank you for your willingness to meet with us today. In fact, I pray that you would pour out your spirit on us now. I pray that this would be more than merely the ritual of church. I pray that you would show up and do this in our hearts and lives. I pray that in the moments ahead, you would open up the scriptures to us in such a way that we cannot leave here the same way that we came. I pray that you would cause us to seek repentance and forgiveness. I pray that you would have your way in each of us with the lost being found, the dead being raised back to life, and the hopeless being made whole. We ask these things in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, several years ago, the owner of a winning Powerball ticket, are we allowed to talk about Powerball? I know we're not supposed to gamble and all of that stuff. The owner of a winning Powerball ticket worth $100,000 went to claim his winnings. But when he got to the headquarters of the Montana Lottery, he was told that what he had in his hands was not the ticket, but the claim check to it. It seems that the store where he had purchased his ticket had inadvertently handed him the claim check instead of the actual ticket. 
The store in Great Falls, Montana was notified of the mix-up, but the owner couldn't find the winning ticket anywhere in his store. He had a nagging feeling that it had been tossed out with the trash, and the trash had already been picked up earlier that day. He drove through the alleys of Great Falls, Montana in search of the garbage truck. Fortunately, it's a smaller town, and therefore there weren't a ton of streets. Meanwhile, his wife called city officials. They contacted the driver by radio. He drove to a designated spot, and he emptied his load in the street. The store owner and others sifted through the trash bag, bag by bag. Eventually, they located the soggy but still winning ticket. We can only imagine there was great rejoicing upon its retrieval that day. I remember when I was a child, I remember my family going to a local mall, and we didn't go to places like that often as, first of all, there weren't really a bunch of malls around back then. There were some, but there weren't many. I do remember we would go to uh, Montgomery Wards quite often. That was a place that we would go shopping. We really didn't go often. We didn't have a lot of money, and the truth was there really uh, wasn't a whole lot that we needed to be there for. But as I walked through the mall, my mom had instructed myself, my brother, and my sister to stay close. But there were so many distractions once you get in there for a kid. There were storefront windows filled with all kinds of interesting things. And suddenly I looked and I did not see my family. You know, you've been watching that window and you're looking at that stuff and everybody else just kind of walking along. And then you turn around and uh-oh. And you realize you don't see everybody. A sense of panic washed over me as I scanned the crowd. And then I found them. They were actually only a few feet away. Yet somehow it felt like they had been so far away. Our human condition is filled with lost things. We lose things. And then we go looking for them. The lost receipt from Walmart. The term paper that's lost somewhere on your computer. An orphan sock in search of its partner. Losing these things can be very frustrating, even maddening at times. But they're mere inconveniences when compared to other losses in life. And some of y'all probably remember, I'm told often that my movie references and my story references are dated. Some of y'all probably remember the movie Castaway. Tom Hanks plays a man who is employed by FedEx. He is a man who has everything going for him. He has a job which he loves, and he is deeply in love with a woman. In fact, he and his fiancée are planning to get married. Well, he unexpectedly gets a call away on business to the Far East around Christmas time. And as he boards a plane, he heads toward the Pacific Ocean. But as they were crossing, they encounter a storm. The plane loses control and crashes into the ocean, and Tom Hanks' character is the only one to survive. He would wash up on a tropical island, and there he would spend the next four years of his life. Eventually, he decides that he must leave the island behind, regardless of what he will face. He rigs together a raft, and he sets sail. When he's on the brink of death, a ship at sea spots him. He's been found. He was lost, but now he's been found. 
But when he gets back to the U.S., he realizes how much he has lost. The beds are too soft. I guess if you slept on a rock all the time, that would be the case. The food is too rich, and the love of his life has moved on, assuming that he was dead. He's been found, but he has lost so much, and it can never be reclaimed. What if I told you that we've all experienced being lost, and that this period of being lost always comes with a price? What if I told you that there is somebody out there that is desperately searching for those who are lost? It is true. In Luke 15, Jesus tells a series of parables, three in all, that illustrate God's longing to find that which is lost. And I want to take a look at them for a moment this morning. So if you would, I will invite you to turn with me to Luke 15. I'm going to read the first And second parable, and then we'll talk about the third parable just to kind of summarize it. But as we look at these parables, let me begin by pointing out that these are not just about things that are lost. These parables give us a glimpse into the way that God views us. First, from the first parable, we'll see that he views us as his sheep. We are far more helpless than we realize. We are fully dependent upon a shepherd who can guide us and protect us. And Jesus is defined as the good shepherd. In the second parable, we'll see that we are viewed as his prized, valuable possession. In other words, we are important to him. How many of us have ever wondered if anyone cared for us? How many of us? have seen ourselves as damaged goods, maybe because of our own poor choices that we've made, or maybe because of what we've been through. Well, in spite of all of that, God looks upon us and he says, you are my prized possessions. In fact, he values you enough that he would give up everything so that you could be made right with him. In other words, you must be pretty important to him. Finally, in our last parable, we'll see that God views us as his own children, his sons and daughters. We are created in his image, and although sin has separated mankind from the Lord, he longs for us to be brought back into a right family relationship. In fact, As those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, we are adopted into the family and we are now full recipients of what comes with the family name. We are joint heirs with Jesus, looking forward to our eternal reward. In all three of these examples today, we'll see that we are cared for, we are valued, and we are loved. I wonder who needs to hear that today. In spite of all our craziness, our foolishness, And our brokenness, God loves each of us. God loves you. Let's get to the passage this morning. Again, I'm reading from Luke chapter 15. I'll begin the reading in verse 1 as we look at the parable of the lost sheep. This is what it says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all together, all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep 
and loses one of them? Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Let me go ahead and add the second parable just because it's only three verses. Beginning in verse 8, it says, Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls, her husband, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So I included the first two verses of these, this passage for a reason, just to give you a little bit of context as to why Jesus is telling the parable. We've done that each of the last two weeks. Remember how I said earlier that the people longed to come and to be with Jesus, and I illustrated that with the mother of the boy who had the five loaves of bread and two fish. Well, not all the people who came to see Jesus were all that polished and righteous. Some of them were filthy. Some of them were some of the most sinful people that you could ever imagine. In fact, it would seem that Jesus has been hanging out with the wrong crowd. I imagine his mom would not approve. He's not spending time with the religious elites. He's not spending time with other rabbis. Instead, he is welcoming and eating with tax collectors and sinners. Probably the most hated among the people of Israel. Individuals who were looked at as traitors. The tax collector was typically a Jew who was serving the Roman government. The Roman government was taking everything they could from the Jewish people. And often these tax collectors would actually take a little bit more just for themselves. Can you understand why they might be hated? These were among the worst people, yet here Jesus is, and he's spending time with tax collectors and sinners. And of course, there were those who objected to who he would spend his time with. So Jesus responds to their objections by telling them a few stories. He tells this first one about the lost sheep. And then he tells another about a woman who has lost a coin, 10% of what she had. And then finally, he will tell a third about a lost son. Now, I want to focus on the first of the two, first two parables today, but then we'll talk about the third one. We see a similar pattern with all three that reveals God's process of finding that which is lost. And of course, there are all, these are all stories that the original audience would have been able to relate to. The first thing that we see is there is always a lost possession. The shepherd finds 99 of his sheep accounted for, and it might be tempting to think that he should be satisfied. He's doing pretty good, 99 out of 100. If I ever got that in school, I'd have been really excited. But there was still one that was lost. And then you have the lost coin. 
Well, if you've ever lost money or something else of great financial value, you know that it can drive you crazy. It can eat away at you internally. I remember flying through the Detroit airport and I was wearing a pair of baggy shorts that I never wore again after this because of what happened. But as I sat in the terminal awaiting my next flight, my wallet apparently fell out of my pocket. It had a little more than $300 in it. We boarded the plane and suddenly I realized that I was missing my wallet. Internally, I was filled with this feeling of disgust, almost making myself sick. To make matters worse was we sat on the tarmac for over two hours that day and they would not let us get off the plane where I knew where my wallet was, but I couldn't go get it. Even though we've not yet focused on the parable of the lost son, you can imagine, imagine the frantic desperation that a parent would feel upon realizing that their son was lost. But each time that this valued possession is lost, there is a search that ensues. The shepherd looks for the sheep, leaving the other 99 behind to go get it. The woman looks for the coin, turning everything over, looking under all the seat cushions, looking in all the dark corners. And she does whatever it takes to find that coin. And the father seems to be constantly scanning the horizon in hopes that his son will one day return home. There is always a search for that which is lost. I went with a friend to the federal courthouse in Winston-Salem one day. He had made some foolish choices and he had to come before a judge. We arrived relatively early in the day and there were several hours of waiting before his case was brought. By the time we prepared to leave, neither of us could remember where Daryl had parked his car. And so we began to look throughout the parking garage walking from floor to floor. Now you can imagine, it's a federal courthouse, it's a large facility, which means they also have a ton of parking. Finally, he thought about using his key fob to set the alarm off in the garage, which seemed like a great idea, except that the sound of the alarm echoed throughout the entire garage, and we still couldn't figure out where the noise was coming from. We did eventually find it, though but it took a great deal of searching. And when we found the vehicle, we both breathed a sigh of relief. We didn't live in Winston-Salem, which means it would have been a really long walk home. We laughed a little. We celebrated the fact that that which was lost had been found. Well, the same thing takes place in each of our stories as well. Upon finding the lost sheep, the shepherd calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me for I have found my lost sheep. And likewise, upon finding her lost coin, we're told that the woman calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And even in the story of the prodigal son, we're told that the father throws a great feast to celebrate the return of his lost son. Well, I want you to know that according to this chapter, there is great rejoicing in heaven. There is great rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who has moved from being lost 
to found. In my devotional life recently, I was reading from the book of Job. It's really a a rather dark book when you look at it in its depth. It begins with a curious statement, though, from God to Satan. It seems that God is bragging. You're not allowed to brag, but he is. It's okay. It seems that God is bragging. He says in Job 1.8, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? Now this conversation would lead to a story of tragic suffering as God would allow Satan to try to tempt Job And he would endure much hardship, although at the end of everything, Job indeed showed himself to be faithful to the Lord, and he is blessed far more than he even began with. But that's not why I bring up Job. I've often thought to myself that I want to live such a righteous and holy life that God would be able to brag on me. Hey, have you considered my servant Mike? That there is none like him on all the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Now, I recognize that i got a long, long way to go before I get to that point. But that's what I long for, for God to be able to brag on me. But did you know that God has already thrown a celebration event on your behalf The moment that an individual surrenders their life to Jesus Christ, a party takes place in your honor. And at the center of it all is Jesus who is declaring that my sheep that was lost, he's been found. That long sought after coin, I've got it in my hand. And my long lost son, well, he's home. Well, as Jesus tells these parables. The first two are likely seen as relatively easy to receive. He's talking about sheep. And unless you're a shepherd, it's still somewhat abstract. Sure, they knew about shepherds and they understood the work that they did. But unless you're an actual shepherd, it's just a story that relates to everybody else. They've never been in the position of a shepherd. Then Jesus talks about a lost coin. I wonder how many of these guys And his original audience laughed as their minds went back to the moment when they had lost a coin or their wife had lost a coin. I'm going to tell you that when I hear about somebody losing their keys, just to illustrate this, my mind immediately goes to Daily Seegers who leads us in worship. She is constantly losing her keys or locking herself out of somewhere. She calls often or now she goes to the ring doorbell and she'll stand there pushing that button knowing nobody's here but hoping one of us will answer and come let her in. Well, some of the audience, as Jesus is telling this story, likely laughed as Jesus talked about losing a coin. But then the story becomes more personal. He tells of a wealthy man who has two sons, they know that culturally that there, this is a time, that there is a time that these two young men will benefit from their father's wealth. By the way, they've been benefiting from their father's wealth. But there's coming a day where dad will pass away. And when he does, they both will receive 
a share of his wealth. But one of the sons doesn't want to wait until someday comes. And so he asked for his share of the inheritance. Now, this would have been a very personal request, and not just because of the financial side of it. In fact, there are other ideas that are hidden within his request. Indirectly, for example, what this son is saying is that I'm ready to go and live my life apart from you. Dad, I love you, but I'm not sticking around. It was disrespectful. In a manner, what he's saying is, I wish my father were already dead so that I could receive that which is coming to me. Give me what's mine. I remember many years ago while I was still in college, the school had a lady who wrote the school into her will, and she let them know that it was coming. After a couple of years, she contacted the school, and she shared that she had decided to go ahead and give them the money ahead of time. She said that she wanted to be sure that the next time she got sick that they were praying for, and as they were praying for, they were praying that she would get well, not that she would die so they could get their money. The reality is, this young man and his request, it would have been viewed as incredibly disrespectful from the outside, and it would have been incredibly hurtful on the inside. Yet the father, in Jesus' story, gives the son what he longs for. And this son takes the money and he runs. He goes off and he squanders all that he's been given. He spends it on wild women, probably alcohol, and his so-called friends, which, by the way, none of them are present when he runs out. But before you judge this young man, I want you to take a moment and realize that all of us have squandered what our heavenly Father has given to us at some point or another. Maybe it wasn't on wild women and alcohol, or maybe it was. But we all have made poor decisions, been poor stewards at some point or another. So maybe we can relate a little more than we like to admit. Then Jesus tells of the brokenness that would result from this young man's decision. He realizes that he's blown it. He realizes that he's been a fool. He finds himself so destitute that he is feeding pigs an unclean animal in their culture, something that he never growing up would have ever wanted to touch. Not only is he feeding them, the passage tells us that he longs to eat their food instead. How destitute must he have been? Can you imagine the humble pie that this arrogant man is tasting. And so he comes to his senses, realizing that he'd be better off just just going back to his father. Maybe what he's done, maybe he's burned that bridge and he could never be viewed as a son again. His father could never welcome him in the way he was before. But you know what? I remember my father had servants. And my father took care of him a whole lot better than this guy's taking care of me. I'm feeding this guy's pigs and I'm starving to death to the point that I'm trying to eat the pig's food. Man, I'd be better off if I just went back and served my father. And so with his head down in shame and embarrassment, he begins that journey back to home. 
But there is another side of this story that is so often neglected. We've heard of what's going on in the mind of this young man. We've heard of his great awakening moment when he realizes that he needs to return to his father. When he recognizes that all the decisions that he's made have not worked out the way that he had hoped. But what about the father? I want you to know that this father was continually grieved throughout this story. As a father, I can confirm that it broke his heart to even receive this request from his son. Give me my inheritance now so that I can go and enjoy it while I'm young. Picture the father thinking to himself, wait, wait you're, you're leaving me? And then the son departs. And you can't help but imagine that the father prayed constantly for his son. How many of us have prayed for our children that God would protect them, that God would bring them back safely to us, that God would help them to make the right decisions, the things that we've taught them would stick with them? He prayed for his son. He would have worried over where he was, who he was with, and what he was doing. And as time passed, a sense of brokenness would have only continued to grow. Oh, sure, he probably, after a while, you don't notice it. He doesn't show it as much, but his heart was heavy for the son. In fact, it probably would have just become a part of who he was. You say, well, how do you know that this father was broken over what's taken place. Listen to the words of Luke 15, verse 20. This is, the son is on the journey, he's on his way back, and as he is coming, it says, but while he was still a long way off. You picture him, he has just come over the horizon. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. While he was a long way off. This father was not just merely going about his business as if his son did not exist. This father was brokenhearted over the absence of his son. It would seem that he is scanning the horizon, longing for this son to return. He's not okay with his son being lost. Now, to the original audience that Jesus speaks to, the father's response would have been hard to justify. The Jewish culture was very much about people getting what they deserved. And certainly, this young man deserved the wrath of a father. I almost picture them thinking to themselves as Jesus is telling this story, I bet he's about to get what he deserves. I bet the father's going to let him have it now. This is going to be a good story. I like this one. But instead, he received the love and grace of a father. Dad decides to celebrate with a feast. He orders that they bring a fattened calf. Call everyone together. We're going to celebrate that my son, which was lost, has now come home. There's an interesting element to this. I mean, there's a great celebration. You know, if there's a party, people are going to come. 
If there's food, people are going to come. They're rejoicing over this. It's a great moment. But not everybody celebrates on this joyous occasion. According to the story, we're told that the older brother, the one who has remained faithful, who has stayed home and done everything that he is supposed to have done throughout the years, he is furious about the celebration. In fact, as the father goes out to talk with this older son, verse 30 tells us that the son says, but when this son of yours, talking about his brother, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Now there's, there are so many things that are hidden within this verse. First, we see the bitterness of this older brother. It's so great that he cannot even bring himself to refer to the wayward brother as his brother. He is defined as this son of yours. In other words, I don't even want to be associated with him. This is your responsibility, not mine. More than that, I want you to notice that this older brother is so focused on the sin of his younger brother that he cannot rejoice over what has taken place. I guess it's kind of like the religious leaders who objected to Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. They should have rejoiced over it, but instead they are bitter over it. Let me suggest that the vast majority of people will rejoice over a sinner who repents there will always be some who do not. And I regret to inform you that often the ones who do not rejoice are the ones who have been in church for a long, long time. We look and we, we think of ourselves as we're righteous and we're faithful and we've done the things that we're supposed to do. And now you come in later in life after you've done all these things and now you want the same grace that everybody else gets. Well, that doesn't seem fair. And what happens is we forget that we were recipients of that grace as well. All of these religious individuals that were confronting Jesus who were complaining because he's with the tax collectors and sinners, all of them were just as dependent on grace as any tax collector and sinner. The reality is we are all dependent on God's grace. I'll tell you the truth, there is great reason to rejoice over one sinner who repents. And there is rejoicing in heaven, but there ought to be rejoicing in the house of the Lord. I had a friend many years ago, he was 91, I was about 31 at the time. I was pastoring in Colorado Springs and uh, he was in a small group with me. The small group was about evangelism and discipleship. We were teaching individuals how to share their faith with others. Uh, his name was Wayne Carver, sweet elderly gentleman. I started to call him an old man, but I'm not supposed to say that. A sweet elderly gentleman. And we walked, or we worked our way around the room that first night of our meeting, and the youngest individual in our group was 14 years old, and he was the oldest at 91. And I asked each of them to share why they were participating in an evangelism class. And I remember his answer so clearly. He said, I have family members who do not yet know Jesus Christ. 
and I want to do whatever it takes to reach them. He said, if taking this class will enable me to be able to share with them the love of Jesus, I want to do it. You know, so often we do not rejoice because we do not have the personal connection that we ought to. That father rejoiced over his son because he loved that son very, very much. My friend Wayne, he rejoiced when I was only there for two and a half years. I will tell you, that small group was right at the beginning of my time there. When I left, his children, his grandchildren, and his great-grandchildren were all actively involved in the ministry of the church. Started with his daughter, then she brought a husband, then she brought her kids, and then they brought the grandkids. Do you know what happens when something like that takes place? We rejoice. We don't look and say, well, I can't believe that they're getting away with that. They got away with all this sin, and now they get the same grace. No, we rejoice over it. A sinner that was lost, a son that was lost, a coin that was lost, a sheep that was lost. It has been found, and we have a reason to celebrate. I don't know the sins that have enslaved you. But what I do know is that those who have been lost, regardless of how big or how small it may have been, those who have been lost need to be found. And I want you to know Jesus is searching for you. And he desires to have you be made right with him. I will tell you, maybe there are others that won't rejoice, but I will. If an individual, I'll tell you, I have had some of the greatest opportunities to celebrate with the church and it's not at baptisms, even though baptisms are awesome. I love baptizing because it symbolizes something else. It's not baby dedications. It's not funerals. It's not weddings. The greatest joy for me is when an individual actually surrenders their life to Jesus Christ and they receive the forgiveness of sins. And suddenly it clicks in their heart and in their minds and they realize I was lost, but now I'm found. I believe today that God still desires to reach those who are lost. My hope is that you are not lost, but that you are ready. But if you are lost, I want you to know that you can be found today. If you would bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you today, first of all, we rejoice over the salvation that has been made available to each of us. Lord, I pray for each individual in this room today that truly we would know your grace. If there be one here that is lost, that Maybe they've been living a life that does not measure up with what you desire for them. They put on the look and Sunday morning they appear to be just like everybody else, but they know that it is sin that is dominating their life. I pray right now through your grace that you would forgive them of their sin. Cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that they would move from being lost to being found. Father, I pray right now that forgiveness would be what dominates their lives. Father, I pray for our family members, our friends, our loved ones who do not yet know you as their personal Savior. We know that those who are lost are destined for an eternity in hell unless they be found. And we pray today that you would do whatever it takes to bring our loved ones into a right relationship with you, that they may move from being lost to being found. Father, I pray today that you would use us along the way, much like my friend Wayne Carver. I pray that you would use us to go out of the way to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others that they may be found. Father, I pray 
for a great outpouring of your spirit. But we've talked this morning about the Holy Spirit's presence. And when the Spirit is present and when the Lord is working in our midst, Lord, that we cannot keep quiet. Lord, let us be like the boy who returned home with 12 baskets full of fish and bread, who probably couldn't keep quiet about what the Lord had done. Lord, I pray that you would move in us in such a mighty way that we would be forced to celebrate knowing that, man, there's a whole world of people that needs the same thing that we received. Father, I pray today for your anointing and your blessing to fall upon us. Lord, I pray that every individual in this room would be used by you to help someone else be found. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is a blessing to be able to share with you this morning, and I hope that you will take this message to heart, this story of the, the lost and found, the three stories of the lost and found. Man, who might God use you to reach this week? I believe he wants to. Such a blessing having you today. Thank you and go in peace.